Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome to Radio Free Canada News and Notes from the Underground for Monday, October 25th. And hello from Kalamata in southern Greece, where we are seven hours ahead. So it is now just after 11 p.m. as you're listening to this. This program was pre-recorded earlier this afternoon, Greek time. And I will be pre-recording new programs for the next two and a half weeks. And I'll be flying home to Toronto on November the 9th. I hope you enjoyed the best of the Richard Serrett Show, incidentally, the last two weeks. I flew into Athens October 12th. The same day I flew out of Toronto, I took a rapid antigen test. I was told about this lab in the Downsview neighborhood of Toronto that performs rapid antigen tests that are good for 48 hours, and they are totally unobtrusive, unlike the swab that goes way up into your sinus cavity. I call it the brain tickler. So with this test, they just take a plastic strip and place it barely inside each nostril. And that's it. Results in 10 to 15 minutes. And I thought to myself, why isn't this the standard test? Why isn't this available everywhere and for very little money? I tested negative. Now, I I can't say the same about all of the fully vaccinated people on the plane. Any of them, all of them could have had COVID since, of course, the vaccinated are spreading the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So the unvaccinated who get tested under these mandates are actually the people you want to be sitting beside, not the untested double-vaxxed. When I landed in Greece, they reserved the right to test you again, and they randomly select travelers, so naturally they chose me. I showed them my negative test from Toronto. didn't matter. Oh, and incidentally, you can also enter Greece with documentation showing you have natural immunity from a prior infection right? That's what the science tells us. The immunity from a prior infection is more robust than from a vaccine. So, of course, we do the exact opposite in Canada. But in Greece, a negative test or proof of prior infection. I showed them the negative test. It didn't matter. I got the brain tickler and it was negative as well. They do have restrictions here, Uh, but, but there is some semblance of normalcy. You don't see people wearing masks outdoors like you do in Ontario. You certainly don't see people driving alone in their cars wearing masks here like you often do in Toronto. 
If you're in a taxi here, the driver may or may not be wearing a mask, and he may or may not ask you to put a mask on. You can dine at any tavern or cafe, outdoors of course, but it's still very warm here in Greece. Everyone dines outdoors. You don't need a mask to walk to your table, only to take it off once you sit down. If you wanted to dine inside, you could show a negative test or again proof of a prior infection. And in the remote villages, particularly here in the south, there are virtually no restrictions. So again, there is a sense of freedom and normalcy here. There are certain sectors where workers are being mandated to get vaccinated in Greece, but they are protesting here en masse. This is being virtually ignored by the mainstream media in Canada, but there are massive protests in Switzerland, all over Italy. In Italy, of course, no vaccine, no job, period. In France, enormous rallies every weekend. And, and most Greeks have a, a hair-trigger distrust of authority, which I, I admire. I admire that. I, I, I just arrived in Athens and I had two pieces of luggage with me. And I, was, I went straight from the airport to this meeting, and I had to get from one meeting to another location in Athens, about 10 minutes away, and someone at the meeting offered me a ride on the back of his motorcycle. So suddenly there I was on the back of a motorbike, no helmet, carrying two pieces of luggage, whipping through the side streets of Athens. And I said to the driver of the motorbike, we could never do this in Canada, we'd be ticketed. And he said, welcome to Greece. We make our own rules here. Ah, I said to myself, I have come to the right place. So some good news, some uh, new cracks beginning to form. Transport Canada has quietly announced the deadline for the air and train travel ban for the unvaxxed will likely be pushed back until the end of December. And even then, they admit it will be difficult from a legal standpoint to ban the unvaccinated, certainly from domestic travel. So that's for starters. Uh, we have the Ontario Superior Court issuing a temporary injunction on behalf of six applicants facing termination by the Universal Health Network in Toronto. Uh, these are six healthcare workers who are refusing to either disclose their medical records or are outright refusing this medical procedure. Again, it's just a temporary injunction and only applies to these six applicants. But it's the first real legal stumbling block to this outrageous and immoral overreach by our radical progressive PC government here. So we'll keep a close eye on that one. And finally, an open letter from a group called Mounties for Freedom to RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky expressing the group's, quote, most sincere concerns and resolute stand against the forced coercive medical intervention of Canadians and against the undue discrimination experienced by those exercising their lawful right to bodily autonomy. Uh, end quote. So good news. It's a start. More cracks. So for the next two and a half weeks, this uh, program is going to sound a little different. No Lou Skeezus for now, but he'll be back once I get back to my home studio November 10th or 11th. But I will have my regular contributors this week. In fact, Dr. Patrick Phillips will be here this hour and he continues to crowdfund for his legal defense as he prepares for his hearing before the Ontario College of Physicians and Surgeons or the Kremlin, as I call it. This secretive star chamber has the power to revoke medical licenses and really destroy careers. And so what is Dr. Phillips guilty of? Adhering to the Hippocratic Oath, adhering to the Geneva Code, the Nuremberg Code, adhering to the fundamental principle in medicine of informed consent. All of these things, of course, have been abandoned by public health in Canada, all of them. Uh, before Dr. Phillips, 
American conservative talk show host Wayne Allen Root will be here. He's a former presidential candidate under the libertarian banner, and he says civil disobedience is the only way to stop these vaccine mandates. He's talking about President Joe Biden's mandates, but there are some lessons here for us in Canada, obviously. Uh, Dr. Joel Hirshhorn is the author of Pandemic Blunder. He's also a member of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons and America's Frontline Doctors. He'll be here in the second hour to talk about breakthrough infections. The recent death of General Colin Powell has uh, brought a lot of attention to breakthrough COVID infections of the fully vaccinated, and he was fully vaccinated. And the media and public health officials, both here in Canada and the U.S., have been seriously downplaying breakthrough infections. Uh, while I've been away, I see Doug Ford has announced an end to all COVID restrictions by March 28th, an end to mask mandates, an end to vaccine passports. So a six-month countdown has begun, and uh, he's being hailed as a hero and so forth. But seriously, does anyone actually believe that this is going to end on March 28th? March 28th, where did he get that number? Did he look into his crystal ball? Did he, did he pull the number out of thin air, out of his backside? I don't know. But here's what I predict, and I know a lot of you are also thinking along the same lines. The number of breakthrough infections is going to really spike here in Ontario. Why? Well, because this non-sterilizing vaccine doesn't prevent infections. It doesn't prevent the spread of SARS-CoV-2. Its effectiveness continues to wane as time goes on. And the jab, of course, was designed to address the initial infection, not the variants. And a booster probably is not going to solve the problem either because we see what's happening in Israel. What are they on their fourth shot now? And breakthrough cases are, are spiking there. So there'll be these breakthrough infections, lots of them. And of course, the disgraceful media in this country will continue to call it a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And the premier will announce, I'm predicting, just before the March 28th a deadline when he's supposed to lift these restrictions, he'll say, folks, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we, we have to lock down again or we have to mandate masks and vaccines. Uh, I didn't want to do it. Uh, the doctors, the science table are telling me I have to do it. I pushed back. I fought for you. So predictable. Uh, but but they showed me the models and they're very scary. And uh, if, if we can just get to a 110% vaccination rate, uh, everything can go back to normal. We're so close. We've worked so hard. You know the rest. Um, so that's probably what's going to happen. Or perhaps the federal liberals will introduce a national mask mandate or a national vaccine mandate. And then the premier will be off the hook. He can say, look, we, we dropped our restrictions in Ontario. This is on the back of the feds. It's their fault, not mine. Another possible scenario is for Ford to delay the lifting of restrictions from March 28th. He'll do it sort of uh, in two-week in increments. Just give me another two weeks. Oh, we're getting close. Just give me another two weeks. And then he'll, he'll get it very close to the provincial election in June. And then he'll lift them. He'll lift the restrictions just before the provincial election in the summer. And then once he gets voted back in, he'll slap those restrictions back on. I mean, I could be wrong, but... Abusers are nothing if not predictable in their behavior. And uh, virtually every politician in this country, with a very few notable exceptions, have abused their position and they have abused the citizens of Ontario. This is an abusive relationship we're in. When they punish you and tell you it's for your own good, when they blame you and tell you it's your fault, that's textbook abuse. When they try and control what you say and who you talk to and where you go, again, that's textbook 
That's a textbook abusive relationship. When you disagree and point to obvious holes in the argument of the abuser, and then they tell you, no, 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 you're crazy. That's gaslighting. And that, again, is textbook abusive behavior. So we are in an abusive relationship and the governing elites and the media are the abusers. It's really that simple. Now we have to muster the courage to walk out of this abusive relationship. So don't let the premier say, I'm sorry, it's for your own good. Don't let the, the Ontario PCs and their collaborators in the other parties say, don't listen to your crazy friends. We know what's best. Don't let Ford say, I'm going to make it up to you. I promise. We have to have the courage to walk out of this abusive relationship. Wayne Allen Root, former libertarian candidate for president of the United States, is next to make the case for civil disobedience. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Monday, October 25th. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. I was mentioning earlier how we are in a textbook abusive relationship with the governing class and the media class. And there is probably only one way out from under these vaccine mandates, and that's civil disobedience. The only problem is civil disobedience is not exactly in our DNA up here in Canada. There's an old joke. How do you get 40 Canadians out of a swimming pool? You say, hey, get out of the swimming pool. Luckily, my next guest is here to help us rally the troops and tell us how civil disobedience can be effective. Wayne Allen Root, a.k.a. the capitalist evangelist, is host of the syndicated talk radio show Wayne Allen Root, Raw and Unfiltered on the USA Radio Network. And he's the author of a brand new book, The Great Patriot Protest and Boycott Book. Wayne, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, Richard, how are you? Terrific. Thank you. So you, um, you write that you were one of the few white conservatives in America who grew up in a majority black urban city, attended uh, an all black middle school and an all black high school. How did that prepare you uh, to write about boycotts and, and protests and civil disobedience? Well, a couple of things actually prepared me for, for the new book that I have out called The Great Patriot Boycott excuse me, the Great Patriot Protest and Boycott book, uh, a couple things. Number one was growing up, as you said, in a, in a very uh, minority urban area, right on the Bronx borderline in New York, majority black town, majority black middle school, about 90%, majority black high school, about 90% black. Um, and, and the second thing, by the way, that really prepared me for writing this book and for this moment in time where I believe conservatives are being persecuted and our civil rights violated and everything that's happening is unconstitutional, uh, was going to Columbia University. I graduated valedictorian from high school and wound up at Columbia University. I was a SOB, son of a butcher, a blue-collar <laughs> kid, winds up at Columbia University. And speaking of the opposite, I went from all black to all white. Columbia was all white, but incredibly liberal to the point where almost every kid I went to college with at this Ivy League school bragged about being a communist, a socialist, a Marxist, or a Bolshevik. Those are the words they used. Really mentally ill, mentally unbalanced, sick people, and most of them hated the fact 
that they were white and hated white people. It was the strangest experience to go from a black school and being one of the only white kids to then going to a white school where everyone's rich and spoiled and privileged and white, and they hate their whiteness and they hate themselves, and they spend all day long saying they want to bring down the United States of America. So that's the dichotomy of my life, to go from that to that. And all of it helps explain what's happening in America today. So the reason my black experience was so valuable was that I, even though I'm a huge conservative and always have been since I was a little kid raised by my family to be a big conservative and a capitalist, uh, I was a great, great, great believer in the black civil rights movement and had a front seat to see what was accomplished by Dr. Martin Luther King and all the uh, black civil rights activists who came after him, you know, and, and they accomplished amazing things. And they gave themselves and their people uh, amazing, uh, you know, freedom because they fought so hard to fight prejudice and persecution. Well, now the shoe's on the other foot. Republicans and conservatives and Christians and patriots of all kinds in America and in Canada, as you know, are under attack or under persecution. You know, the only thing you're still allowed to be hateful against in America is, is Republicans, conservatives, white people, patriots. That you're allowed to hate with no problem. So as a guy who grew up with nothing but black people surrounding me and black friends, as that kind of guy, you can't accuse me of racism. Right now we're experiencing reverse racism. It's okay to attack someone because they're white, because they're conservative. You can't, you know, in America there's a law, and the civil rights law say you can't withhold a job, you can't withhold, say, an apartment or buying a house or a mortgage because of a person's religious beliefs or because of a person's, uh, you know, a color of their skin uh, or their sex, whether a man or woman or transsexual, that law is in effect. But someone's got to add to that your political beliefs, because right now it's open season on anyone who's conservative, anyone who wants to be unvaccinated. They treat you like we're in India and there's a caste system and you're now the most horrible person in the world and they will fire you and they won't rent to you and they won't give you a mortgage. Soon I'm sure we're going to have a social credit score like China and conservatives will lose all their ability to get credit cards and bank. Banks won't keep our account because you believe that the border is open and that's not a good thing because you believe that a vaccine mandate is illegal and unconstitutional and you want control over your body. Uh, you know, so all of this leads me to believe it's time for all of us as conservatives to use protests and strikes and boycotts and intimidation and civil disobedience just like liberals have done to us for decades, and they won. They steamrolled us by using those strategies, those ideas. And so now I'm applying it to conservatives. That's why I wrote the great patriot protest and boycott book and all the strategies in it and all the names of all the biggest corporations, their CEOs, their boards of directors, and how you contact them via phone, via email, via social media account, and via physical address. All of that is included in the book. So a whole protest movement is easy to do inside my book, The Great Patriot Protest and Boycott Book. All right. When we come back, you'll uh, you'll give us an example of what you're telling your listeners to do in the Las Vegas area, for example, when it comes to restaurants and other retail stores that might consider signing up for this vaccine mandate or medical segregation scheme. Wayne Allen Root is with us, the capitalist evangelist, host of the uh, syndicated talk show, Wayne Allen Root, Raw and Unfiltered. The brand new book is The Great Patriot Protest and Boycott Book. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. 
Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. We now and Root stays with us. The new book is The Great Patriot Protest and Boycott Book. So this idea of taking the tactics of the uh, the loud liberal minority and that kung fu idea of using their weight against them. So how does this work in, in practical terms, Wayne? Well, you know, as a, just to give you an example, Richard, in practical terms, here in, uh, in Las Vegas, we do not have the same problem that I'm guessing. Uh, I don't know exactly what's happening in Canada in every city, but I'm assuming in Toronto, where you're from, uh, you can't enter a restaurant without a vaccine passport. Is that right? That's correct. And soon you can't get on a plane, a train, a marine vessel without a vaccine passport. Yeah, so since my book came out, since the moment the Great Patriot Protest, the Boycott book came out, which was a month ago, a lot of things have happened in America that prove that every single strategy in my book, protest, boycott, strike, strikes, intimidation, civil disobedience, never violence, but using your power, and in, my, in this case, I'm really suggesting conservatives use their buying power uh, in addition to strikes and protests and boycotts, uh, all of it works. And so we at Southwest Airlines, which is one of the biggest airlines in America, and certainly the most flights in and out of Las Vegas, where I live, uh, by a mile, it's the biggest airline servicing Vegas, and all their pilots striked. But I'll bet you don't know that in Canada, because even here in the United States, every news article in the mainstream media said that it was scheduling issues and weather problems. Even though the weather was perfect everywhere in the country and no other airline had the same issue, so it wasn't weather, it wasn't scheduling, it was all the pilots said, I don't want the vaccine, I'm not going to take off. So they grounded thousands of planes and thousands of flights got canceled and then and literally the airline lost 75 million dollars in a short period i think about three days they lost 75 million dollars and they capitulated the ceo of southwest went in the news media and said we are not going to fire anyone who won't get vaccinated we will not comply with the federal mandate you know we want you to be vaccinated we'll encourage you to be vaccinated but if you don't want to be we will not make you lose your job that's an example of the kind of tactics we need it's in my book and here it is in real life they played it out southwest airlines won and the next day guess what american airlines and delta airlines both of their ceos announced the same thing we we know there's a federal mandate but we're not going to fire anyone even though initially they said yes they would fire anyone and everyone who wasn't vaccinated. So we know this kind of pressure works. It's money pressure. It's spending pressure. It's worker pressure. You know, a company can't survive without its pilots. An airline without pilots doesn't fly. And so, you know, uh, uh, a police force without policemen cannot police a city. Uh, A fire force without firemen, you can't respond to fires. There's no choice here. Everyone's got to go out on strike and boycott and put pressure on whoever it is that's telling any group that they've got to be vaccinated against their will. And so in Vegas, I have promised, Richard, that when the day comes, thank God there is no vaccine mandate in Vegas to get into any restaurant or grocery store or retail store. I do whatever I want. No one says a word to me. And I've never been sick a day in my life. So the whole thing is ludicrous. But 
But I have already promised that I've got a huge following. Number one show in Vegas, dominant afternoon drive. If any restaurant dares to say you can't come in without a vaccine, I'll bring at least 10,000 people to their doors, and we will not let anyone in their restaurant until they go out of business. And the next restaurant, and the next one, and the next one. So good luck to all of them. Lesson learned. That's the lesson of the Great Patriot Protest the Boycott book. And if your people in Canada are too nice to do that, then you're going to be living under a authoritarian Nazi-like, in my opinion, and I'm a Jew, Nazi-like and Soviet communist-like, Fidel Castro-like life for the rest of your life. Good luck. You better fight now before it gets so bad that your country is just like Cuba. It's bad stuff. You can't let a dictator tell you what to do. If, if abortion is my body, my choice, then a vaccine is my body, my choice. Simple as that. Who would have thought we would be looking to Australia as the canary in the coal mine and where, where we could be headed? Yes. We could become the next Australia. Who would have thought? Wayne Allen Root is the host of the syndicated talk radio program, Wayne Allen Root, raw and unfiltered, based in Las Vegas, but heard on the USA Radio Network. Uh, how do we get a copy of the great Patriot protest and boycott book, Wayne? Well, certainly from Canada or anywhere else, uh, Amazon's the best place. They're a liberal company, too. And I suggest, you, you know, you stop buying as much as possible from Amazon and only buy conservative books. And I think they'll get the message. I think that's the way you teach all companies a lesson. You either stop buying from them or you send them emails and let them know you're not going to buy anymore. Or you just buy conservative books that have a good, positive, patriotic message. The Great Patriot Protest, the Boycott book, Amazon.com, of course, BarnesandNoble.com. I don't know if you have that in Canada, but we've sure got it here, and the book is doing fantastic, number one in 20 categories over the last month. So uh, thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure, Wayne. Thank you. Wayne Allen Root. All right, my conversation with small-town family physician and lover of freedom, Dr. Patrick Phillips, is next. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Well, a small victory. The Ontario Superior Court has issued a temporary injunction on behalf of six applicants facing termination by the University Health Network in Toronto. These are six healthcare workers who are refusing to either disclose their medical records or are outright refusing this medical procedure. Here to discuss is our small town family and ER physician and lover of freedom, Dr. Patrick Phillips. Hey, Patrick, how are you? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and Black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. 
Are you ready for a rewarding career in the electrical industry? Quality Electric of the Coastal Carolinas, QECC, is looking for qualified electricians and electrical helpers to join its Charleston team. QECC offers guaranteed full-time hours. Make up to $30 per hour with possible performance bonuses and career growth opportunities. Enjoy benefits like health insurance, dental and vision coverage, 401k plans, and more. If you're a motivated, experienced electrician, this job is for you. QECC is an equal opportunity employer. For all job inquiries, send email to hr at qeccinc.com. Good. How are you, Richard? Very well. Thank you. Your thoughts? It's a temporary injunction. I guess there'll be a separate hearing next Thursday. Who knows? They could basically say we don't have jurisdiction, but I guess we should enjoy the moment. This is really the first legal stumbling block that these vaccine mandates have faced. Yeah, I I think this is definitely encouraging news. Again, it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't have anything to, to say about the final outcome. But the fact that a court is taking this seriously, and and what they said is uh, that the harm raised by by the applicants is potentially serious and cannot be undone. So they also said uh, it is alleged that some or all of them may be compelled to take the vaccine against their will because they cannot, in their personal and family circumstances, take the risk of being left destitute by the policy they are seeking to challenge. So that is coming right from the court which is, I think, very encouraging. Because like you said, uh, it's mostly been rulings from the courts that are completely out of line with uh, the basic principles of justice that we've uh, previously known in this country. So for them to clearly be at least taking this seriously uh, and, and acknowledging the potentially serious harmful effects of these mandates is very encouraging. And I think this is hopefully a sign of more things to come. Right. That was the the decision uh, written by Superior Court Justice Sean Dumphy. And um, as you say, the, the, the fact that he would that he would write those words, that the harm raised by the applicants is potentially serious, cannot be undone. He talked about being compelled to, to take the vaccine against their will because they cannot, in their personal and family circumstances, take the risk of being left destitute by the policy they are seeking to challenge. It's very strong language. So, I mean, that is perhaps reason for hope. The injunction didn't mention, the injunction document, I guess, didn't mention anything about the University Health Network's position or why they support this policy. Uh, I guess, you know, what we'll, we'll have to find out on uh, Thursday, is it? So let's imagine for a moment that this injunction is granted, it's permanent. Uh, it only applies to these six, plus I guess there are another 19 employees who were in on this legal uh, legal motion. So it'll apply to these 25 only. But I'm guessing this will have perhaps a chilling effect and, and maybe widespread um, widespread influence on, on, on other organizations. How do you feel? Yeah, I, I mean, this is coming from our superior court um, in in this uh, province. Uh, again, yeah, I agree. I, I think um, it's it's very encouraging that they're that they're they're taking this seriously, and hopefully, it will set a precedent in the future. Uh, because I think, although it's not a ruling on the policy themselves, it's a ruling on the fact that injunctions uh, are necessary. Uh, because it's in, these mandates are encouraging people to take uh, a vaccine uh, that could potentially be harmful to them or, or uh, to cause a loss of their career. So, so I, I think, yeah, definitely uh, 
any organization should pay close attention to this ruling uh, because it's going to set a precedent uh, across the province and, and possibly if, if challenged across the country. Yeah, but, uh, we have about a minute here. Just a, a quick comment from you, Dr. Phillips. This um, Mounties for Freedom open letter to RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky uh, basically taking a pretty strong stand. These are active members of the RCMP speaking out against coercion and, um, uh, you know, the rights, the inalienable rights of not only their members, but also Canadian citizens in, at large. Yeah, this is, uh, this is very encouraging, again, especially for a federal police force to be, and members of it to be willing to put their, their uh, careers on the line to stand up for our freedoms. That's the oath that they took, and, and I'm very happy to see uh, some of them taking that oath seriously to protect their freedoms and the freedoms of all Canadians as enshrined in the Charter. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about pharmaceutical companies and their uh, long history of committing criminal fraud to promote their products. More of my conversation with Dr. Patrick Phillips when The Richard Serrett Show continues right after these. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Tonight, keeping drug companies honest, a story that's simply stunning about multi-million dollar profits and illegal activity at this country's biggest drug company. The Justice Department alleges Johnson & Johnson boosted sales by paying millions of dollars in kickbacks to pharmacists and doctors who pushed the drug Risperdal to patients who did not need it. The medical editors of that journal accused the drug company Merck of misleading them about the dangers of Vioxx, of hiding the fact that it caused even more heart attacks than previously known. Johnson & Johnson paid $2.2 billion. Eli Lilly paid $1.4 billion. Pfizer and its subsidiary paid $2.3 billion. And GlaxoSmithKline paid out a record $3 billion. For seven years, Glaxo failed to report data showing its best-selling diabetes drug. Avandia increased the risk of heart attack by as much as 40%. Opioid epidemic has killed more than 400,000 Americans. Tonight, Purdue agreeing to pay more than $8 billion in penalties. Antidepressant Paxil wasn't approved for use by patients under 18. The company illegally marketed the drug for use by children, even when a clinical trial found teenagers who took the drug for depression were more likely to commit suicide than those taking a placebo. Purdue Pharma pleading guilty to felony charges of defrauding federal health agencies and violating federal kickback laws for inducing doctors to prescribe those powerful opioids. Glaxo also hired a company to write a medical journal article downplaying the risks. The firm used PR firms and paid several doctors, including the U.S. celebrity doctor, Drew Pinsky, to promote the drug. If you can't trust 
medical research that gets published in very established journals, what can you trust? But as Bob Orr reports, the massive settlement may not lead to much change. Is fraud the business model of the pharmaceutical industry? No one's going to jail. No one's going to prison. And worse yet, they've set up a situation where Purdue is going to be able to continue on. You look at this thing, and I mean, if Pfizer is too big to fail, and even the biggest fine in history is just a few months profit, then what's going to stop it from illegally promoting other drugs? Critics say Anderson nothing. And we are back with Dr. Patrick Phillips, small town family physician, ER doctor, lover of freedom. You can follow him on Twitter at Dr. P underscore MD at Dr. P underscore MD. So we just heard this compilation video that someone put together and you retweeted it today from various news sources showing all of the corruption and the long history of fraud by these big pharmaceutical companies, Johnson & Johnson, accused of boosting sales by paying millions in kickbacks to pharmacists and doctors, Merck, misleading a medical journal about dangers of Vioxx and hiding the fact that it caused many, many more heart attacks than previously believed. Billions and billions of dollars paid out by Big Pharma in damages and fines. Purdue paid a a paltry $8 billion in damages for the opioid epidemic that they helped cause, which killed 400,000 Americans. On and on it goes. Why should we ever, ever trust these pharmaceutical companies ever again? Why would we even think about taking their vaccines? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And not even necessarily to be a judgment on these organizations, but especially when corporations become very large, they're actually designed and have a legal obligation to maximize profits. So the incentive in these large corporations is to do all that they possibly can to maximize those profits. That's how they get their their bonuses and and everything. And it kind of has to work that way when a business is very large. And so what's supposed to keep that in check is is our laws uh, and our laws against them. And if we look at the track record of Pfizer, for example, they were charged with illegal marketing and criminal fraud in marketing their drug Bextra, which is a, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory that was actually pulled from the market because it had some very disturbing, rare side effects that, that ended up killing some patients. And so, but nevertheless, they were marketing it and even beyond its approved indications. So they ended up being charged and uh, and had a $2.3 billion fraud settlement against them. And when you look at the big picture, though, so that was the biggest criminal, criminal fine that was ever uh, put in place ever at that time. And but if you look at it in the bigger picture, that was only about three weeks of their sales. So that's a tiny little fine. And so that was their disincentive to stop committing the fraud, right? And so that was like, if you look at it, really, that's just kind of the cost of doing business. Exactly. The question is, have they changed their behavior? And I think that's why we need to look very closely and skeptically at any any of their claims that they have in any of their practices. Right. And then there are the all of these out-of-court settlements that we often don't even hear about. As you say, it's simply the cost of doing business. Uh, and then there's also the whole FDA approval process. Even even drugs that have been FDA approved later have been pulled because you know people have died. 
Yeah, absolutely. If you look at uh, the drug like Vioxx, for example, it was causing heart attacks and strokes. Uh, and a lot of those side effects were being covered up. And uh, so there was a big settlement with, I believe it was Merck who, uh, who marketed that drug. Right. And it was, again, was pulled from the market because it was dangerous and, and was killing people. And so, yeah, the FDA as well, you need to look as well, you need to follow the money. Uh, the FDA is not mostly funded by taxpayers. The FDA is a government organization that is funded by the industry. Uh, they're mostly funded by pharmaceutical uh, applications uh, to market drugs. And so there's also a longstanding history of uh, FDA officials also having a revolving door with corporate positions in the, these pharmaceutical companies. And so that's a huge conflict of interest and it's undermining the credibility of the FDA for sure. There's no question. The system is broken. The system is absolutely broken. And, uh, People need to, to watch this, this compilation. It really drives the point home that uh, uh, Pfizer and Merck and uh, GlaxoSmithKline uh, and uh, Johnson & Johnson, not always looking out for our best interests, obviously. Dr. Phillips, always appreciate your time. Be well. I know you're under a great deal of pressure these days. We're, uh, we're all pulling for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Richard. Take care. Hour two of The Richard Serrett Show awaits. Stick with us. Back with more in a moment. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. The Richard Serrett Show continues on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. Uh, just a reminder, this program was pre-recorded earlier today. I'm coming to you from southern Greece, Kalamata. And I'll be pre-recording new episodes of The Richard Serrett Show from here for the next two and a half weeks. And then I'll be back live from my home studio in Thornhill around November 10th or 11th. And of course, Lou Skizis will be back with me at that time. Uh, coming up this hour, Dr. Joel Hirschhorn from the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons and also America's Frontline Doctors will be here this hour to discuss breakthrough infections. And contrary to propaganda from mainstream media, breakthrough infections in fully vaccinated people can be lethal. He'll uh, cite some compelling data worthy of uh, our attention. He'll explain how vaccines lose effectiveness in relatively short periods of time, which opens the door to breakthrough infections and breakthrough cases will keep increasing, he says. How do we determine what is true, what is false, and what is misleading? Fact check this. Uh, so earlier, I mentioned some good news. The first legal stumbling block thrown up against vaccine mandates in the province, the Ontario Superior Court, has issued an interim injunction against the University Health Network and their attempts to terminate a group of unvaccinated employees. And I'm cribbing here from an article in the Toronto Sun, the injunction comes after six UHN, that's University Health Network employees, some of them nurses, brought forward an urgent motion to the court on Friday afternoon, which was the deadline UHN set to terminate those who had not yet received the COVID-19 jab. The UHN covers Toronto General, Toronto Western, and Princess Margaret Hospitals, among other facilities. And incidentally, uh, UHN has uh, done, I think, very long-lasting damage to its reputation, as far as I'm concerned. None of these hospitals will ever, ever 
get a dime from me or my family again. And we regularly purchase the Princess Margaret home lottery. Never, ever again. Uh, Ontario Supreme Court, Ontario Superior Court Justice Sean Dumphy wrote in his decision, quote, the harm raised by the applicants is potentially serious and cannot be undone. It's alleged that some or all of them may be compelled to take the vaccine against their will because they cannot, in their personal and family circumstances, take the risk of being left destitute by the policy they are seeking to challenge. Again, uh, this is the first time a vax mandate in Ontario has been blocked temporarily. So this is a victory of sorts. Let's see what happens. The uh, injunction document doesn't say why the employees don't wish to be vaccinated, and it doesn't offer the University Health Network's reasons for the vax mandate policy. Again, this is an interim injunction. It doesn't apply to all of the roughly 180 University Health Network staff members who are refusing to take the vaccine. It only applies to the six and uh, 19 others who were in the process of joining the legal action when their lawyer launched the motion. Again, it's not a permanent injunction. It only puts the mandate on hold for a week uh, for these specific individuals involved in the legal motion. Uh, this coming Thursday, the court will hold another hearing on whether or not the court has jurisdiction over the matter. This could be where the uh, injunction falls apart. It seems we've been down this road before where courts basically say they have no jurisdiction or they can't rule because of some technical issue. Uh, in this case, the uh, University Health Network is arguing the court doesn't have jurisdiction because the vaccine mandate is a matter of collective bargaining. It's a collective bargaining agreement issue and the court has no say in that. So again, we shall see. America's favorite doctor is uh, now looking like a complete monster. Dr. Anthony Fauci, who lied to Senator Rand Paul about the NIH's funding of dangerous gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Virology Lab, now finds himself at the center of a huge and ugly mess involving alleged experiments on puppies. Dozens of puppies may have been killed using taxpayer money. Uh, documents from the National Institutes of Health, the NIH, obtained by a taxpayer watchdog organization, reveal that the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, that's NIAID, led by Dr. Fauci, spent $1.68 million on unnecessary research that killed dozens of beagle puppies. Between October 2018 and February 2019, NIAID funded research at SRI International involved force feeding or injecting 44 beagle puppies aged six to eight months old uh, with an experimental drug before killing and dissecting them, according to documents obtained by White Coat Waste Project, WCW. That's a taxpayer watchdog organization with a focus on scientific research. We're trying to get those folks on the program, by the way. Uh, the research deemed unnecessary by the Food and Drug Administration cost taxpayers, again, $1.68 million. Uh, the NIH documents stated the experiments were conducted, quote, to provide data of suitable quality and integrity to support application to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and other regulatory agencies, end quote. Uh, however, 
following reporting by the Daily Caller and others on previous WCW investigations, the FDA stated this summer it, quote, does not mandate that human drugs be studied in dogs, end quote. Uh, the SRI research involved cutting the dog's vocal cords so they could not bark, as well as experimentation on mice. Quote, people are, uh, people are, quote, people are naming puppies after Anthony Fauci, but he's actually dogs and taxpayers' worst nightmare from poisoning puppies here at home to funding gain-of-function experiments in China. The government's highest paid employee has proven he can't be trusted to spend taxpayer dollars responsibly, end quote. That's according to WCW Vice President and Advocacy and Public Policy Director Justin Goodman. Uh, with NIH Director Francis Collins retiring, Fauci could be the next one to go. A previous WCW investigations revealed that NIAID directed hundreds of thousands of dollars to research that involved deliberately infecting beetles, beagles with parasitic diseases before they were scheduled to be euthanized. In August, Republican lawmakers demanded Dr. Fauci explain his agency's involvement in abusive animal testing deemed unneeded by the FDA. Here's another experiment. Dr. Mengele, I mean, uh, Dr. Fauci funded. It involves the use, get this, it involves the use of an acid to destroy a region of a monkey's brain in order to magnify terror. Let me read that again. This is again a Dr. Fauci funded experiment involving the use of an acid to destroy a region of a monkey's brain in order to magnify terror. The experiment then involved simulated images of spiders, which were used to torment the monkeys with fear. Now, can anyone, can anyone think of a good reason why anyone would want to fund that research? Can anyone think of a good reason why anyone should listen to this monster when he says, it's perfectly safe to inject your five-year-old with the COVID vaccine. Oh, wait. A couple of weeks ago, I had uh, Jeffrey Tucker on the program, the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute for Social and Economic Research on the program. Brownstone publishes this, uh, some really powerful pieces from contributing editors. One such is Steve Templeton, who is an associate professor of microbiology and immunology at Indiana University. Uh, School of Medicine. The article is titled The Politicization of Immunology, and it speaks authoritatively about accepted science for the last century concerning robust immune response from prior infections, something scientists quote, end quote, and their cheerleaders in the lamestream media and our corrupt and inept ruling elite are trying to memory hole, to borrow a phrase from Orwell's 1984. Templeton writes, much like masks and risks to children, comparisons of immunity acquired by vaccination or by recovery from SARS-CoV-2 infection have become highly politicized. As an, as an immunologist, I find this incredibly frustrating. A refusal to acknowledge what is known about protective immunity and the continuous employment of manipulative messaging will do very little to influence public behavior. I suspect it's having the exact opposite effect. Up to half the population of the United States has recovered from SARS-CoV-2 infection. 
the vast majority acquired the virus through no fault of their own. Simply engaging in normal human behavior increased the risk of infection. Much like any natural disaster, the damage from a global pandemic could only be minimally, minimally contained. Non-pharmaceutical interventions have not stopped viral transmission and were considered temporary measures prior to 2020. Although improved pharmaceutical treatments like treatments have likely improved patient outcomes, especially with the increased use of anti-SARS-CoV-2 monoclonal antibody therapies. Yet the key to ending the pandemic has always been the immune system. The fact that so many have recovered from infection and that robust, durable, and protective immunity in those individuals has been unequivocally proven should be considered a good thing, yet somehow it isn't. Many still seem to believe that acknowledgement of protection of infection-recovered individuals will result in masses of people having COVID parties and hospitals being overwhelmed, since one can't eliminate the risk of a severe disease by getting infected. As a result, there appears to be a drive to cancel the term natural immunity, a pretense that the vaccinated need fear the unvaccinated, and an unwillingness to treat the public as adults that can handle nuanced information and make decisions regarding their health. However, I believe the biggest problem for political and public health leaders is that they cannot take credit for immunity acquired by infection. You can read more of uh, this terrific article by Steve Templeton called The Politicization of Immunology. That's at brownstone.org. All right, my conversation with Dr. Joel Hirschhoff, the author of Pandemic Blunder, when The Richard Serrett Show continues right after these. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. The recent death of U.S. General Colin Powell has brought some much needed attention to the phenomenon of breakthrough COVID infections of the fully vaccinated. Dr. Joel Hirshhorn is a member of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons and America's Frontline Doctors and the author of Pandemic Blunder. Dr. Hirshhorn, welcome back to the program. How are you? Great. Glad to be with you. Thank you. First of all, let's start with a definition. What do we mean by breakthrough infection? Okay, simply it means someone who is fully vaccinated, fully vaccinated, comes down with the COVID infection. And some people who come down with the infection, not all of them, but some people die. And because mostly this is happening with a lot of elderly people with underlying medical conditions, this was the situation for Colin Powell. But we have a study that, interestingly, the Defense Department in the U.S. did a study of a Medicare people, people in the Medicare program, 65 and older, and they did a sample. Everyone was fully vaccinated. It was 5.6 million people. This is a big sample, all right? So we know from the Defense Department research, a lot about breakthrough infections. I'll just throw out a few simple numbers to you. 5.6 million people in Medicare, 65 and older, fully vaccinated. How many people got breakthrough infections? 161,000, that's a lot of people. How many people had to go to the hospital 
33,000. How many people had to go to ICU intensive care units? 10,400. And now the last key number out of this sample, just a sample, mind you, how many people died from breakthrough infections? 3,381. So over 3,300 people died. I find that an amazing statistic. When we think back to 9-11, this terrible terrorist attack on the United States, what was the big news? 3,000 people died, okay? So here we have a sample on breakthrough infections. Over 3,300 people died from breakthrough infections. This is people like Colin Powell. These are all over 65 and older people. So this study, by the way, the website was pulled down <laughs> after the data came out because clearly there were people, I think at NIH and CDC and FDA, who did not like the results of this study. Because what this study showed was that, and, and there's data on this also, I could cite, that the vac these were all vaccinated people. And the study showed that after about four or five months, the effectiveness of the vaccines declined. So why are people getting breakthrough infections? The longer the time from the, when they took the vaccine, the greater the probability that they are going to get infected with the virus and come down with a disease, COVID disease, okay? Because the vaccines do not work very well. They all decline in effectiveness. Five, six months, this has been shown by data from Israel and, and other places. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. These vaccines don't work. So they make vulnerable people especially the elderly, but even young people die from infection despite the fact that they're fully vaccinated. That's the whole point of this study, fully vaccinated people. By the way, that sample of 5.6 million is just about 10%, only 10% of all the people in our Medicare system. So now you start to really play with the data. And I, I came to a conclusion in the article I wrote that at least 10 to 20,000 Americans have died from breakthrough infections. And you can't believe the CDC data. The CDC, unfortunately, collects terrible data. And by the way, this what I just gave you from the defense study undercounted all of the results because they followed one CDC rule. 
They did not count any of the ill effects that happened within 12 days of the last vaccination. Now, let me tell you, we have lots of research that shows that a lot of bad things happen to vaccinated people within 12 days. So that's an undercounting. All right, we'll uh, come back and discuss further the phenomena of breakthrough COVID infections. Dr. Joel Hershorn is with us, the author of Pandemic Blunder, a member of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons and America's Frontline Doctors, back with more right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Don't go away. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. We are back with Dr. Joel Hirshhorn, author of Pandemic Blunder. He's a member of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, and also a member of America's Frontline Doctors. Uh, let me just um, wind it back a little bit, and we'll go over some of these uh, these points that you made. First of all, for those that would say that General Powell, who uh, passed away after a breakthrough infection, despite being doubly vaxxed, he was 84 years old. He yes. had... I believe, multiple melanoma, a type of blood cancer. So yes. he's a very high risk group. What do you say to people that would suggest that we have to take that sort of thing into consideration when we're talking about breakthrough infections? Because we often talk about underlying conditions when we talk about the unvaccinated who might, who might uh, pass away from COVID. The fact is, well, they had multiple underlying conditions. So now can we use that same argument when we're talking about someone who was doubly vaccinated? Well, that's just the truth. Being vaccinated does not offer terrific protection. We now know a couple of things about all of these vaccines. They all decline in effectiveness over a period of four or five months, okay? The other thing we know is they're not truly vaccines in the sense that they do not kill the virus that's in your body. They do not prevent you, if you've been vaccinated, you can still transmit the virus to other people. And the latest data, a study just released within the last week, they measured the viral loads in nasal passages of vaccinated people and unvaccinated people. And what did they find? The viral load, the degree of the virus in your body was the same in the vaccinated people as in the unvaccinated people. So these are not real vaccines. They don't kill the virus. You still got it in your body. You still transmit it and you can keep picking it up and you can keep transmitting it. It goes on, (laughs) on and on and on. So the vaccines will not stop the pandemic. And that's what's interesting. Other research has shown, and this is amazing research, that in the countries that have done more vaccination, they have the worst COVID results, okay? More vaccination, worst results. That's been shown through some wonderful research, very detailed research. They looked at lots of countries around the world. They even looked at all the counties in the United States. You come to the same conclusion. The more use of the vaccines, the worse your COVID outcomes. So once you hear these scientific facts, you've got to ask yourself, why are we trying to solve the pandemic with pushing more and more vaccination onto people through mandates? It will not work. The vaccines are a failure. 
Okay. Now there are other things you can do to stay alive, to stay free of COVID. I think people like General Powell, people in the 70s and 80s who are at risk because they have a lot of health conditions, they should be on a pro, what we call a prophylactic. And the big one in use today around the world is something called ivermectin. It's a generic medicine. It's been around for decades. It was fully approved by the FDA being used to cure a number of diseases, widely used. And now we have data. This is the most interesting data from India, from Indonesia, and lately from Japan. The more that you use ivermectin, the less COVID you have. In India, the largest state, over 240 million population, they officially said they're free of the pandemic. How did they get free of the pandemic? Not through vaccination, which was way less than 10%. They got free of the COVID by use of ivermectin. So if you're elderly, if you've been fully vaccinated, I can tell you what a lot of doctors are doing that I work with, and I'm doing it, I'm telling you the truth. I take ivermectin every week. I take some ivermectin. This is a prophylactic. This is a prevention, okay? We know it works. There's a ton of studies that show ivermectin works. Don't believe the propaganda from big mainstream media or social media who keep, who keep condemning ivermectin. Right. It's a horse dewormer, they say. Yeah, it's, it's all a lie. It's true ivermectin has been used for animals and it's sold in stores that sell it for animals. Human beings should not take the ivermectin that is packaged for animals. It's not the safe way to go, all right? You gotta have really legitimate ivermectin. I can tell you, I have a huge supply of ivermectin. How did I get it? I got it from India. There are plenty of pharmacies and wholesale pharmacies in India that you can get ivermectin without a prescription, because most doctors in Canada and the US will not give you a prescription. I know, I have tried. So I put three orders in. They've all come to me within about four or five weeks. I have about a thousand tablets now of ivermectin, by the way, that cost next to nothing. My wife got some ivermectin in a US pharmacy, three milligrams. She paid nearly $5 a pill, three milligrams. I buy 12 milligram tablets from India for about 30 or 40 cents a pill. That's an amazing difference. All right, Dr. Hirshhorn, yet another time out. Come back. Uh, we'll come back and discuss further. Dr. Joel Hirshhorn, author of Pandemic Blunder, right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Don't go away. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. And we are back with Dr. Joel Hirshhorn, author of Pandemic Blunder. Uh, just give us a sense of what the book is about and how do we get it, Dr. Hirshhorn. Well, it's like Pandemic 101 kind of textbook. It tells the complete story of how we got into this mess. It, it really follows a ter the terrible actions by Dr. Fauci and that the management of the pandemic has been all wrong. The book is also a strong advocate for using generic medicines protocols. The, the forward to the book was written by Dr. Zelenko who created one of the first 
protocols in March of 2020. We have the data coming in from Zelenko and from people in France that hydroxychloroquine and later ivermectin work to cure people. So when I saw the data coming in in March of 2020, I said, I've got to really look into this. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized we had a cure for COVID. And what happened, I try to explain in the book, Fauci blocked the wide use of the generic medicines that, uh, you know, <laughs> Dr. Zelenko and other great doctors, okay, frontline doctors, are still using today, okay, to cure people. I, I was just listening yesterday to one of the doctors in California who's, who's dealt with 6,000 patients. Zelenko has also dealt with over 6,000 patients. They've cured them all, all cured. So you can imagine what my book is trying to get across as a message. We could have saved nearly all the deaths that have been, now it's something like 730,000 Americans, according to the CDC, have died. Virtually all of those deaths could have been prevented. And that's the message in the book, if we would have used the generic medicines. And I explain in the book how, what Fauci did wrong, everything that Fauci did. Everything that the federal agencies have done in the U.S., which the world copies, everything they've done is wrong. Okay, they, you know, what I say, Fauci pushed, and unfortunately, President Trump accepted a wait for the vaccine strategy. So Fauci was willing to let hundreds of thousands of Americans die, die, because oh no, they had to wait for the vaccine, as if the vaccine was going to save them. And I have even in my book, which was written months ago, I have solid information that the vaccines wouldn't work, okay? So the, the book points out the whole history, in a sense, of, the, of this pandemic, what has gone wrong. So you learn, if you read the book, you'll be amazed because you will be fully informed of, of the real story of the mismanagement of this pandemic by Fauci and federal agencies and the world copied in a few places like India, Indonesia, now Japan, and a few other places even, they didn't copy what the US did. They started to use ivermectin. In fact, in some countries, they gave ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine out freely to the people, including some countries in Latin America. So this, this is, this, when I say pandemic blunder, it's worse than a blunder. It's evil mistakes, evil intentional actions by Fauci and others that have messed up the pandemic. And more recently, I've written to show that Fauci intentionally created the pandemic. Don't blame this pandemic, I say, on the virus. The virus is real. But the question is, how lethal or how deadly is the virus? And what we knew way back was that this virus was only going to be deadly for people over about the age of 70. So why would you fully vaccinate the whole population when people below the age of 70, they have no significant risk of serious illness from COVID or death from COVID, okay? There's only a small piece of the population, the elderly, where the benefit of the vaccine could outweigh the risk. And the other thing I have to say, we have tons of data now. I'm gonna give you a number that I haven't published yet, 
How many people have died from just taking the vaccine? Just the vaccine, not the virus. Well, according to VAERS, I think it's around, what is it now, about 16,000? Yeah, it's a lie. Don't believe CDC data. You want to know the real number? And I'm going to give this in a paper I'm just finishing up today. 150,000 Americans, 150,000 Americans at least have died from just taking the vaccine. So the vaccine not only is ineffective and unsafe, the vaccines are deadly. You can imagine all over the world how many people have died from just the, the vaccines. It's many, many hundreds of thousands. All right. We'll take a time out. When we come back, I'll get you to explain how you arrived at that number. Dr. Joel Hershorn is the author of Pandemic Blunder and a member of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons and America's Frontline Doctors. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. And we are back with Dr. Joel Hirshhorn, author of Pandemic Blunder. And uh, just before the break, Dr. Hirshhorn, you gave a figure, the number of Americans that have died as a result of the vaccine, not from COVID, but from the vaccine. Now, the VAERS database, Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, I believe it's around 16,000. You say that number is, is incorrect. It's more like tenfold. How did you arrive at that number? 150,000, I think you said. Well, it's based on a very detailed analysis, I believe, by an expert from Israel. It's a very detailed analysis. They looked at the VAERS data. By the way, a Harvard study done a number of years ago showed that VAERS data is 10 to 100 times wrong, too low, okay? VAERS data underestimates whatever they're talking about in VAERS, like deaths. It's way wrong. It's easily 10 times or 100 times higher, according to a Harvard study. My uh, analysis that I I refer to, to, the bottom line was that if they they looked at everything available and they said it's at least 150,000 dead people from vaccines. I wrote a long article just on vaccine-induced blood problems. There are people dying within days of taking the vaccine. What are they dying from? They're dying from blood clots strokes in the head. We know this has been solidly researched, especially out of the United Kingdom. Blood clotting, which depletes your bloodstream of platelets. I have a story in one of my articles about a doctor in his 50s in in Florida, a physician who gets very ill, very quickly goes to the hospital. His platelet count is near zero. You have a platelet count of near zero. It means your whole system, your blood system has failed. And he died of what? A blood clot in the brain. This is happening left and right. I read stories every day about people. By the way, research has shown that most of the ill effects that you see in VAERS, they happen within a few days of vaccination. 30 to 50% of all the bad effects happen within a few days of vaccination. So what does CDC do? They don't count bad things that are happening within 12 days of vaccination. It's as if they say, if you die or get sick from a vaccine shot within 12 days, that's not counted as you being vaccinated. This is the most corrupt criminal action I have ever seen. I've been working for over 50 years on medical issues, and I can tell you 
I've never seen the government do something like this, where they're just not counting the data. This is the important thing if it happens within 12 days of vaccination. So despite this data, and you cited earlier this DOD study of Medicare databases and 161,000 breakthrough cases, these are people 65 and older, 161,000 breakthrough cases, 33,000 hospitalizations, 10,400 ICU admissions, 3,381 deaths, a death rate of 2.1%. And this is um, out of a total sample of 5.6 million fully vaccinated people in the study, the 65 and older. And you say that this study was taken down because it, it sort of undercuts the whole narrative of the effectiveness of vaccines. But it's right. despite all of this, they are doubling down and tripling down. Now they want to vaccinate five to 11 year olds. What yes. is, what is the, the, the mentality here? It's evil. It's criminal. No people below the age of 70 should really be vaccinated because the risk of taking the vaccine, like death and illness and blood clots, the risks outweigh the benefits. The odds are if you're below 70 and you don't have serious medical problems, you are not, even if you get COVID, it's not going to be serious and you're not going to die from COVID. Now, why are they pushing this mass vaccination program? By the way, I wrote articles about this. Some of the best doctors around the world have signed petitions saying we should stop the mass vaccination program all over the world, that this is a failed strategy. I always say this. There's only one reason why they're pushing vaccines. It's not to save people. It's to make money for big drug companies. Let me offer another theory. This isn't just mine, but it's been bandied about. And I think it might have some credence here. Perhaps the powers that be realize the damage that is being done. But in order to cover their tracks, they need to eliminate the control group. They need everybody vaccinated so that there is nothing to compare it to. What do you think? Well, that's true. And the other thing we haven't talked about is the fact that in the United States, and I know similarly in Canada, in the United States, well over 100 million people, a lot of people, probably a third of the population, have what we call natural immunity. Because once you get COVID, this is the interesting thing, you get COVID, you get what we call natural immunity. Your immune system works and it works very well, okay? And what do we know from research in Israel of over 700,000 people is that natural immunity that you get from being infected is 27 times more effective than vaccine immunity. So here we have this crazy situation where lots and lots of millions, hundreds of millions of people have natural immunity and the governments are saying, no, we're not going to give you credit for natural immunity, which works very well. We're going to force you to take vaccine immunity, okay? And what do we know, by the way, from medical research, Richard? We know that if you have natural immunity and you get a vaccine shot, it really harms your immune system. It backfires, essentially. And now you become even sicker, more vulnerable to negative impacts of vaccination. So it's all insanity. <laughs> it's, it's, that's why the best doctors, Dr. McCullough in Texas, Harvey Rice in Yale University, I can go on and on. I work within the same groups. We all know the truth. The truth is there should be no mass vaccinations. If we would, we could have saved all of the people who died, the elderly who died in nursing homes, 
back when the pandemic started in 2020, if we would have given them ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, we could have saved virtually all of those lives, okay? It wasn't gonna be vaccination that's gonna save these people. So everything is upside down, inside out, evil and corrupt. Well, Dr. Hirshhorn, I, I appreciate your time. Sometimes I think this program sounds like a broken record. We keep hammering away at the same message. Hopefully these cracks will give way and the dam will finally burst. It can't happen soon enough. Again, thank you so much for your time. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Dr. Joel Hirshhorn, author of Pandemic Blunder and a member of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons and America's Frontline Doctors. Okay, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, and Brandon. I'll be back tomorrow, God willing, to do it all over again. Dr. Peter Bregan, psychiatrist and author of COVID-19 and the Global Predators, will be here to talk about the NIH's confession that they did, in fact, fund dangerous gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab. Ruth Gazgowski offers tips and resources for homeschoolers. And James Cooper from the Canadian COVID Care Alliance will be here to talk about the legal aspects of the COVID crisis. The Brian Crombie Hour is next. I'll speak with you tomorrow at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Tuesday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.